Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the advancement of teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what I commonly refer to as the TLC of business. Hi, my name is Greg Gregory, host, founder of the Teamwork Advantage podcast. And joining us today, we actually have a very unique situation, only the second time in the history of the Teamwork Advantage. We've got two folks joining us here to talk about one of my favorite letters, the C, the culture, and the power of what culture is all about and how we can get culture in line with what we want. The key thing to remember is this just does not always apply in business. This applies in business, of course. It can apply in your personal life, your family life, your volunteer life, your church, your synagogue, wherever you happen to be. It works with your uh, baseball teams for your kids. Wherever you are, the power of culture is really going to hit, and that's going to be key today. We're going to give you some ideas that you can implement right away in your organization, and we'll take it from that point on. So joining us today, we have two folks, as I said. First off, we'll start with Dr. Dante Vaughn. Uh, he's an expert in organizational leadership, workforce management, and company culture. He served as a senior level executive and business strategist for companies throughout the United States and a business strategist for companies uh, on, and serving as chief cultural officer and managing partner at Culture Works as a vice president, organizational leadership, and culture at Powers. Now, next on our list is uh, Randall Powers. He started Powers, a boots-on-the-ground facilitation firm focused on delivering significant financial operational value. And this is really important because this is the systems behind what we're talking about. By optimizing culture and performance in 2009, and he currently serves as the managing partner. He's also the founding member of CultureWorks, which is the technology company that enables organizations to proactively develop, implement, measure, and improve their leadership skills needed to optimize employee engagement. And don't we need employee engagement today? It's so crazy the way we're looking at things. Uh, welcome, both of you. It's good to have you both here. From You're both from the Atlanta, Georgia area. So welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Appreciate it, Greg. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Greg. So a little, a little bit of a background, if we can, because you're there at CultureWorks, and we've got powers and everything kind of thrown in there. Uh, Dante, tell me a little bit about, you know, your background, how you got started in culture. Um, it, it's not something you wake up in high school and say, I'm going to be a culture expert. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That's not how it happened, Greg. So I, I, my career started in operations and I started in retail operations first and kind of worked my way up from the front line all the way. Uh, to a senior level role uh, with all of the GAP brands, GAP, Old Navy, Banana Republic. Though that organization specifically had a significant emphasis and impetus around uh, organizational culture, and it sparked my interest. And I was navigating what did I want to do long term in my career, and that really framed up um, uh, this pursuit in organizational leadership and understanding how people come together, how they engage, how they interact, and how they impact business outcomes. And, and that really led me down the academic and professional track of exploring 
um, methods and, and mm-hmm. systems to optimize uh, how businesses perform. So I transitioned to the world of operational management consulting and, and anyone in that space understands it to be um, large and small at the same time. You know, you have your core, you know, five or six firms uh, uh, with whom I worked for and worked with and worked my way through a leadership role uh, similar to Randall. And, and uh, as I departed from a uh, uh, big five consulting practice and started my own independent practice, uh, serving more of the small business community, that's where Randall and I are past um, collided in, in a really special way. Uh, I had experience in operations and academia in this examination of company culture. Um, and Randall also had that experience and had a vision for um, how organizations sh- should optimize company culture. So together we were able to uh, uh, realize the opportunity that has now become culture performance management and culture works as a company. Okay. And we're going to definitely get into uh, the CPM, culture performance management along those lines. And I think that's so powerful. It's, it's kind of interesting because I don't know that I've ever known of someone to kind of be uh, an, a researcher, if you will, of culture. So that's yes. really fascinating in that direction that wherever you got that start was very much on the forerun, uh, forerunners because today culture is one of the hot buzzwords without a doubt. Absolutely. Uh, when I started on that pursuit, even through the academic realm, the, this reference to culture was very narrow and it was focused in, from a socioeconomic point of view, a lot of research and, 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 and discussion around. But when you started talking about organizational culture, it was through a more narrow lens and it was through more of an perception of employee experience mm-hmm. and the impact that leaders have on that experience. But what was missing and what appealed to me about Randall's vision and how we could partner together was this notion of how do you view culture through an operational lens and and how does that apply as a strategic pillar to a business? And and that was fundamentally missing. Even in my doctoral research, I wanted to explore further. Where's the disconnect there? And and that's how, um, uh, you know, we were able to come together on this. So, Randall, talk to me a little bit about powers. You were in uh, operations management for uh, companies, mm-hmm. and then you started Powers. And then, how did Powers translate to Culture Works? Yeah, great, uh, great question. Let me see if I can tie a thread uh, from one to the other there. <clears throat> so, you know, the, the nice thing about my background is uh, I've run big companies and I've helped other companies, right, get to a level of performance they're seeking. In doing that, uh, what we find is that there's really at Powers, Powers operational firm, what we find is there's three things that really have to be in place to optimize performance. And that is you have to have the right processes. You have to have compliance to those processes. That's number one. Number two, you have to have the right tools, controls, data and information to help people uh, uh, you know, see the business and make really good decisions in the business. And uh, three, you have to have great leadership skills and behaviors at the front line, which is where execution happens. Many frontline leaders are woefully underdeveloped 
in regards to what it takes to optimize the performance of teams. So when we enter into companies, you see a, a lot of variation, you see a lot of lost time, you see a lot of waste, you see a lot of rework, you see a lot of turnover, you see a lot of overtime. You, all of those things are indicators that something's not right, okay? Either they don't have certain things or they have them and they don't know how to use them, right? It's all anchored around leadership behavior though. You can have great systems and the leadership behavior doesn't the, the behaviors don't line up on how to optimize that and you can have great processes and you still might not have the leadership ability to execute those processes so oftentimes what we find is that there's a lot of firefighting there's a lot of frustration uh, and that's indicative that's how that's what people point to when they say culture it's frustrating it's not organized there's a lot of variation this manager treats me one way this one treats me the other way but the long and short of it is performance is lacking due to leadership behavior so powers quintessentially focuses on the leadership behaviors required to run at 100% capacity utilization at the right cost and at the you know delivering product at the right time in the right way now the, the tying the thread to culture works. We were working with the largest private company in the U.S. This was back in 2012. Um, we had the opportunity at one site. We ended up doing uh, approximately, I think it's 25 to 30 sites there for this, this company. And culture was becoming an increasingly uh, important topic within this, this large corporation in the U.S. Why was it becoming important? Because the labor market was starting to tighten up. Okay. Statistically, if you look at the government statistics, there are about 22 million jobs in the U.S., more than there are people to fill those jobs. So the leverage in the workforce is, is, resides with the labor right now. Okay. So they can pick and choose. Now, is, that, is that today or mm -hmm. is that historically? No, that's as it stands today. And you can okay. pull the data up yourself. But if you, look at the, if you look at that gap, you can see it's been trending this direction, right? Yeah. Okay. So the, po the point of me bringing that up is that companies are now saying, hey, we can no longer just give lip service to our culture. We actually have to have a culture that's genuine, real, and effective so that we can attract talent. Our culture can become an X factor for attracting talent that has a lot of choices in the marketplace. Okay. And when they get here, we have to retain them, which means we have to have a culture that connects into people's values. And we actually have integrity around the culture that we say, because if you hire people and you don't have that culture in place, you say you have it, but you don't really have it. They're going to leave. Oh yeah. Okay. They'll see right through that. Yeah, exactly. So culture is now from our perspective, uh, the number one topic, but what we, you know, back to the company we were working to with, uh, they launched a multi-million dollar initiative around engagement surveys. Right. And, uh, so I give them an A for effort. Basically, the concept was, let's go ask the employees to evaluate our culture, and then let's take that data, summarize it, categorize it, take it back to the leadership team, show the leadership team, and then say, hey, you need to improve so that these outcomes can be better. There's a lot of problems with that, but let me just uh, say what, what I can share with you is the engagement scores that they were starting to generate never moved up. They never improved. And that was my first indication. Something's up. Something's not right. And after about two or three years, they abandoned the whole thing because it had become the number one score in their business and they couldn't change the indicator. So that's when culture works. The idea of culture work started was, and, and we work with a lot of companies in the US, but what we found is that the problem in the market was we don't have a systematic way of 
defining and implementing culture, okay? And, and we can get into the technical aspects of it, but let's just for, for sake of where we're at in the conversation, there's a massive problem in the United States that has to be solved, which is how do companies actually implement culture and make that culture real and true so that the experience of the employees is correct. Mm-hmm. There's a systematic way for that to be done. That's what CultureWorks has invented. Um, so CultureWorks itself was invented out of the struggle, out of this problem that companies are having right now in the United States. Right now, there's still no solution out there except ours that is attempting to solve this, right? I mean, when you talk to companies, culture is fluffy, it's out there, it's not defined, it resides in HR, and I'm going... Guys, look, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you, if you want to implement something, you got to design it and implement it and train people on how to do that, right? right. So it's an, it, the idea for CultureWorks was birthed out of adversity, watching our clients struggle and struggle and struggle and keep pouring money into these uh, measurement methodologies that, from our perspective, are incorrect. They don't, they are, they're not accomplishing the result that these companies are looking for. Hence, the Gallup data over the last 10 years will show you that employee engagement has been stuck in the 30s for 10 years. Yeah. So wake up and, you know, and realize either the measurement's wrong or the methodology is incorrect. And that's how we started CultureWorks. Okay. So, Dante, if we look at culture, you're the culture guy, okay, running the culture uh, at CultureWorks. Um, where, where did this start? I mean, when I was in the mortgage business 20 some years ago, I don't know if we even talked about the word culture. Um, it just wasn't talked about. I know that when I was in college, we never talked about culture. Where did this originate from? Where did this whole idea start? You know, we can go back not too far. I mean, over the last, I would say, 15 to 20 years, this conversation around organizational culture started to emerge really as an outcome of the shift in the working population in the United States, right? As the working population began to shift from baby boomer to Gen X, and then from Gen X in around the mid eighties to this millennial generation. Now there's a sub generation called Xennial that we can sit aside for a second, but as the shift in the workforce began to occur across the United States and what was the majority uh, baby boomer population and Gen X population, now millennial, this perception of this desire to have a sense of connection and belonging in the workplace started to uh, create this interest in organizationally, how are the experiences of these workers informing organizations, not only that they choose to work in, but how they perform within the workplace as a result of these experiences. And that's really what started to spark this interest in organizational culture. And, and, but again, it was so profoundly unique in dialogue as it related to, uh, to um, business management, which was always a focus on systems and processes or business administration, which looked at the, Uh, functionality of an organization. Now, this conversation around um, how do you you impact culture, which seems so abstract, um, is which is why it's indicative of this vagueness that exists in academia and in operationally, right? But it it began when that shift started to happen. Now, you fast forward to 2022, over 45% of the working population in the United States are deemed millennials, right? And among those 
um, that millennial generation is quickly shifting already. So um, your baby boomer and your Gen X population is starting to retire out of the uh, workforce. So what happens? That interest or or the requirement for organizations to start to start to explore how do I align my employee experience with the desires of the prospective uh, uh, workforce, right? And that's that's now rooted in purpose. You know, when we look at red brick surveys or Gallup surveys, what we find is the primary motivator when you were in school and probably even when I was in school, uh, motivation X, right? Monetary motivations, this notion of stability and consistency, mm-hmm. right? That was the driver and that was the focus. Now you shifted where the primary motivator for employees uh, deciding if they want to work for an organization remain in an organization and optimize their performance in that organization is rooted in connecting to values, connecting to purpose, connecting to a bigger motivator beyond monetary uh, outcomes for their employee experience. So now organizations have to say, okay, what am I doing that not only just claims that this exists, um, but actually validated because otherwise, to your point earlier, they see right through it. Right. You said a key word back there a moment ago about the, a sense of belonging. That kind of comes right out of Maslow. Am I right? You're absolutely right. Right at the at the core of the uh, hierarchy of needs. Right mm-hmm. um, is is the theory that if you take everything else aside, we want to feel safe, connected, and that we belong to something greater than ourselves. So that sense of connection and belonging. Well, where do you establish that in an organization? Where do yeah. I start, right? And, and and this is where that this become this is the first pillar in our cultural performance management methodology. If you mm. want to connect with your employees, you set the tone for where those connection points begin, and that's your value system in your organization. That's that's so co- uh, powerful because when we look at that, uh, I go back and I use the example of. You know, there in Atlanta, you've got the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Falcons. They've got something. They've got something. They feel like they belong to, so it creates that culture, a feeling of belonging, and something like that. Uh, sports has done that for years. I think business is really playing catch up. Am I on the right path there? Sure. I mean, you know, when organizations started to um, market their culture, and I'm intentional in using the term market because Randall and I often. Um, find that organizations have over-marketized their culture. It's become window dressing for their business. And their, uh, but the initial focus was simply to attempt to appeal to the external marketplace only in the context of consumer interests, right? If I claim that I have these core values that drive my organization, you may, you may be more inclined to align with me ideologically, right? It wasn't really about initially um, any uh, driver of employee experience or performance outcomes in my business. Only recently, and really a part of our methodology, are we starting to help business leaders make those stronger connections with integrity behind these values. But to your point, uh, these this, this notion of, of connection and belonging just it wasn't a point of interest. Now it's almost a forced point of interest where we okay. are socially and uh, in, in, uh, in our country. So 
one of the things I found fascinating is that you take this in at the leadership level as opposed to the frontline levels. Yes. Now, that was, that was a um, purposeful decision there. Tell us why. I'll start, and, and I encourage Randall to, to, to tag in here. You know, when we think about the core values of an organization, fundamentally, we believe leaders set the tone for how they envision and how they perpetuate the culture in an organization. It's through their engagement, their interaction, their decision-making every day that they foster that experience at, from a peer-to-peer -peer level and a subordinate level. Essentially, now You're talking about senior level, C-suite level, or are we talking about any other managers or where are we talking? Sure. As high up in an organization as you can go, from its founders to its C-suite, the individuals who show up and, and foster the cultural connections within an organization are the influencers of the cultural performance outcomes in a business. So those leaders, be it whomever's interacting in the workplace, play an essential role in creating or fostering the culture that an organization desires. And we believe that it's the responsibility of leaders in an organization to set the pace and the tone. Now, okay. the, the, now the theoretical undertone is what is, is connected to social learning theory, which essentially says at the, the, the leader's embodiment of these behaviors day in and day out, as part of the interactions with subordinates in an organization, foster social learning by those subordinates. They begin to understand and recognize what is deemed appropriate in terms of those interactions and decision-makings. Thus, they begin to adopt those behaviors. But as the senior most leader, those individuals should understand what good looks like. How does my mm -hmm. actions connect to my core values? So that's why we set the, the responsibility at, from a top-down approach so that you have a consistent message, consistent language, okay. consistent um, expectation. You know, Randall and I always tell our, our client partners, you promote what you permit. So it's important okay. for you to embody the behaviors in order to drive that throughout your organization. Randall, you want to add into that? Yeah, I'm going to kind of give you a punch in the nose answer because that's how I roll. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you think about it, you ask why we start at the top, right? So I look at it. I look at it like this. Who's responsible for hanging the values on the wall? Senior yeah. leadership is. And, and they're being prescriptive. What they're saying to the world, to customers, to investors, to employees is, hey, when you partner with us, either as an employee or a customer or whatever, you should expect to see this. That's what they're saying, Right. So they're being prescriptive. Okay. The next part is you've got to train leadership to understand the definition of those. What's that mean, right? Because your definition, Greg, of belonging and my definition of belonging based on our own individual experiences may be vastly different. Okay. So you can't make that assumption that we have the same definition, but that's exactly what engagement surveys do. That's one of the problems with it. But mm -hmm. This, this kind of flow of the water is this. Senior leaders are responsible for hanging those values on the wall. They're being prescriptive. You can't be non-prescriptive 
when you ask leaders to go behave. You got to say, hey, when you come to work here as a leader and belonging is one of our values, here's how you behave. We own the definition of belonging. We own the behaviors that make up belonging. And hey, leaders, by the way, you have to behave in a way, not according to your definition of belonging, but how we define belonging. And you have to act in a way that creates belonging with the employees. That's the flow of the water. That's why it has to start with senior leadership. You can't start with the employees because if you did start with the employees, they're going to be defining everything based on their definition of belonging. And that yeah. they're not the ones that hung the values on the wall. So I look at it more just kind of hardcore black and white operationally, but that's how I look at it. That's, and that, that's, that's why the two of you get together so well is because you're looking at it from a theoretical and an operational. There, we had a guest on our podcast uh, right after we got started uh, almost 18 months ago now he was on. And he founded the company and they've got, I think they've got five core values that they live by. And they, that is their deciding factor. If they're not sure whether to do something or not, they mm-hmm. put it to their core values test. And he has actually terminated people from his employment because mm-hmm. they violated the core values as they were written. That's right. And yeah. that's, that's the strength in that. So that, that just, that's coming full circle in that. So talk to me a little bit about the, the KPIs. You've got some new KPIs that you're trying to do. And tell us where the CPM concept comes from. How did that kind of evolve and how does it work? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you what, why don't I take the piece on the CPM and how it works and Don take and pick up the, the second piece. So when we think about managing culture, right, and we're implementing the culture that we want to have, We look at it uh, very much like, well, if you want to implement culture, why don't you look at the other things you do in your business and how you do them, those successful things, and draw some some experience for that. So, for example, safety. Safety is very important in most companies we work with, right? They have a safety uh, plan. They have a strategy. And there's very specific things they do every day uh, around safety. They, they plan for events. They, they, here's the do's and don'ts around safety. Okay. Uh, leadership, you have to behave in this safe manner or you're out of here. Okay. And we're going to measure safety right at the point where safety is supposed to happen so that we can know whether we have a safe environment or we don't have a safe environment, right? Uh, that's how we look at culture. Okay. You asked the question earlier about why don't you start with the employees? Could you imagine starting with safety at the employee level and go, hey, what do you guys want to do around here to be safe? Like, like, think about that in a FDA environment or, or a USDA environment where there's high regulation, where you have to and you must do certain things, right? You can't leave that up to the employees to figure out. It's management's responsibility to make sure that gets done. So cultural performance management is very similar to production systems. It's very similar to quality systems. It's very similar to safety systems, okay? You have a plan, you execute daily, you measure on that. You can have start to have conversations about, here's where we're supposed to be, here's where we're currently at, here's the gap, here's the reasons why, and here's what we're gonna do to make sure, in this example, we're safer tomorrow. Well, if that works in everything else, why don't you do culture the same way? So we term the, the concept CPM, cultural performance management, that says, what's the system for managing culture, right? It's like Deming says, the people aren't the problem, the system's the problem. Okay, and what we're saying is there's a lack of system in culture. In fact, there's none. People just start with the values and they jump all the way to the employee experience and there's no structure in between. 
Okay. If you want a certain value, if you want belonging to exist in your organization, you got to have a systematic way you train, develop, measure managers around the behavior, the belonging behaviors they exhibit to produce belonging experience with the employees. Because and if they're that's not, you know, say if they're not, if you're not getting it from the senior level through the management level, it's never going to get to the right place at the employee level. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that the employees may all define belonging different. Okay, now I got a thousand people with a thousand different definitions of belonging. How do you roll that data up in any meaningful way? That's gonna and you and the leaders are gonna go, oh wait, I'm I'm behaving according to my definition of belonging, and the employees are 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 evaluating the manager based on their definition of belonging. Those two worlds don't sync up, which is why engagement surveys leave you short. Okay. Dante, you want to take it from there? Yeah, so when you talk about the system that Randall's referring to, for us, we've, we've organized that system into really seven pillars, right? These are seven fundamental elements of the system that enables an organization to bridge the gap between the core values that exist in the organization and understanding the implications or the outcomes as a result of that responding to it, right? It's the, it's the enablement of a proactive approach to managing company culture. You know, when you think about the fundamental challenge in the lack of system is if I don't have a system to implement, measure, and, and, and respond to the outcomes in an effective way, then essentially I become very reactive, right? And historically in organizations, they react to the perceived experience that employees have no matter if it aligns or, or misaligns to their desired culture. And then they try to mobilize strategies around those perceived experiences to try to impact the culture, thus failing to have any real impact. The CPM- okay. let's, let's back up on that for a second, because that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's real strong. Yeah. The, the perceived impact is where I, where I kind of picked up on. And yeah. so sometimes we're, Perceiving it's one thing and it's something else. And so you start to look at all of that. So how do you, how do you get this? How do you get people on the same page that way? Great, great question. So when you think about the seven pillars, I have a value system. Most organizations, that's pillar one. And most organizations today will have some construct of a value system. That gives me a broad definition of what I think is important to embody behaviorally as a member of an organization. Pillar two is definition. The definition to Randall's point is what begins to provide a framework, behavioral standard, behavioral expectations as it relates to how we should engage and interact. It's because now when we start to evaluate my experience, I have a construct by which I'm actually evaluating that experience because I know now what good looks like, how individuals should be engaging or interacting with me. So pillar two is about understanding what are the behavioral standards and expectations that align with those values. That's only pillar two. Pillar three now says, how do I then connect where these engagements, these interactions and, and, and subsequent decisions happen in my business in real time. Because I can't wait for a survey to come out three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, that tells me 
okay. about an experience that occurred in the past by which the questions that solicited that experience doesn't even necessarily align with my expectations in the first place. How do I react to that? That's very reactionary and oftentimes uh, um, misaligned, right? So how do I understand where these engagement points, these interaction points or what we call cultural connections occur in my business in real time? How does that impact performance? How does that impact experience? That's pillar three, making those connections helps an individual, be it a leader or an employee, understand when you are practicing trust, when you are practicing a behavior associated with trust, transparency, it occurs at this point in your business. So you're intentional and in, in being one conscious of the practice of that behavior and reflective of the impact that that behavior have. You, you, had, you have to do that in real time. But here's the thing. Most organizations, even if you get that far, even if you go pillar one, I have a value system, pillar two, I have definition, pillar three, I know where I connect my actions to execution of work in real time. Just because we prescribe these behaviors as standards doesn't mean that you have a capacity to actually practice it. Because what you thought trust was, I just told you maybe something different. And you need to learn what these behaviors, what embodiment of this, these behaviors looks like in real time in our business, that takes time because now we're talking about behavioral change. So pillar four is about how do I learn the optimal way to exhibit these behaviors in a way to have real tangible impact on my employee experience, on my performance outcomes. So pillar four is about the learning side because I can't set an expectation and don't afford you the capacity to learn. Now, once you learn, a part of learning and understanding what's working and what's not, to Randall's point, my variance to what my behavioral expectations are, I have to have a point of self-reflection. I need to understand where's the context between what I should have done and what I didn't do, and do am I aware of it? Am I conscious of it? Do I see it conceptually? Because once I understand personally where my variance is, Hence, part of our methodology reinforces opportunities for learning and reflection. Pillar five gets into practice of it. Well, to practice something, I reflect on what I did. And then someone in, 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 uh, in some mechanism or some way is providing me some outside point of view on how well I did or didn't do. That's where manager observation and, and engagement with other managers comes into play. So part of pillar five is about intentional practice of these behaviors in real time on a recurring basis in a really intentional way so that we can actually start to understand, okay, that, that, that panned out really well for me based on my behavioral, my, the behavioral learning and practice standard that I have. Oh, uh, you know what? That didn't turn out the way I thought it would either through my engagement or my interaction or my, my decision-making. I should try it differently. So pillar five is really reinforcement of the practice of these behaviors in a very intentional and proactive way. So that pillar, we get to pillar six, which is more about measurement. And you'll say, well, how do you measure? Well, there are a couple of ways in our methodology that we measure it. We measure it by way of how leaders through their own self-reflection and through feedback, evaluate the level of efficacy or, or ability that you exhibited in practicing that behavior. And we have a 
a quantifiable measurement for that. And then you also measure it through the lagging indicators of impact that your engagement, your interactions and decision-making had on your performance outcomes. And you can look at lagging indicators like turnover and employee experience and what have you. So we look at it measurement through a proactive lens and a reactive lens. Proactively, we say, get as close to where culture happens, get as close to how leaders are engaging and interacting and evaluate that and ask yourself, are these behaviors what is representative of the core values of my organization? And are you taking action on that now so that you're not waiting three months from now, six months from now, or whenever you do your next survey to, to realize the implications of those actions had a negative impact on my business. Once I understand the gap between what I wanted to do behaviorally or what I wanted my team to do behaviorally, what they actually are doing and the implications or impact of it, now I have a, a variance that I can take action on. And that's that pillar seven is about refinement. So the next time I connect, for example, at my morning startup huddle, at my next operations meeting, at my floor walkthrough, the next time I have that interaction, I'm going to show up better, show up differently. I'm aware of the, the impact that my behaviors are having on my, on my employee experience, on my leadership experience, on my customer experience. And that's essentially, that's the system by which you're having real tangible behavioral change where culture happens at the front, time, at the front line in real time. Right. And that's the fundamental gap between what was missing in the marketplace, which is how do I approach this in operationally? Because otherwise I'm reacting to lagging indicators that may or may not still be, be relevant to my business in the first place. Right. So two questions come to mind. Mm -hmm. Number one is how, and it's got, the answer has got to be at each level, I think, but mm -hmm. how do we hold people accountable? How, how can mid senior managers hold mid managers who can hold team leaders who can hold employees? How do people hold each other accountable in that? And how can you ensure the consistency? Sure. I'll, 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 I'll start here with, there are two aspects of, of driving accountability that relate to cultural performance management, both in communication and in integration, right? You have to create cultural consciousness. First, I need to be conscious of the values and of the behavioral standards and expectations. And if I create a level of cultural consciousness and, and understand that the way we all come together with, through a common language is by way of these values and these behavioral definitions, that's the starting point. I'm aware yeah. that these standards exist, right? Now, cultural consciousness is really centered around communication, right? Everything from how I vet the talent that's meant to be in my organization based on these their ability to understand and connect with these behavioral standards to how I format their job or work expectations to their work standards all include an integration or a communication around these expectations reinforcement as much as you can throughout the business that's the communication piece the integration piece comes into being able to leverage that pillar three and saying, okay, where we show up in our business every day is fundamental to being able to begin to have a dialogue around 
how individuals are actually embodying the behaviors. So you need to have points of integration that are intentional. For example, if I know that every day I have a startup huddle at 8 a.m. and there's a standard by which I talk about key points, am I, am I including a value topic, a behavioral topic? Am I including a standard of expectation around um, reflection on when people are really being champions of the culture and celebrating that? When I look at the metrics of my business, am I connecting my cultural standards or my behavioral standards to how I measure or my outlook on performance? Have I integrated these standards and my performance appraisals and all those things? That becomes important. Now, the missing piece in all of this and, and hence why we develop the software tools that we have is centered around how do I foster a delivery system of, of uh, educational resources that help foster the learning and refinement of my ability to practice these behaviors in real time. So we've adopted tools that include microburst learning opportunities for leaders who are very intentional in practicing very specific values that align with your core values of your organization and very specific behaviors that says today, before you go into your next cultural connection, be, be aware and conscious of practicing these very specific behaviors that align with your core values. Here are some tips in doing so. And when you get done practicing that, do some self-reflection and rate how well you think you showed up based on what we describe as empirically valid approaches to exhibiting those behaviors. So we've given you an opportunity to apply these best practices in real time, reflect on it. Now, in tandem with that, you need an accountability source. You need accountability partner, right? So we mobilize other leaders in an organization, be it your senior leader or the leader who, which you report into to say, hey, today, Greg is practicing transparency as part of our value of building trust. And these are the key best practices that Greg intends to apply in his next cultural connection. Observe Greg in this capacity and give him feedback about how well he's actually embodying these very specific and prescribed behaviors. Now you have a source of accountability by way of the feedback and observation from a, a senior leader coupled with regenerating a culture performance score by which you can also measure how effective you are in practicing that behavior by way of our technology tools. So now you have a measurement, now you have a point of accountability, and you have a level of intentional, proactive practice and even consciousness of how well you are showing up and embodying these behaviors. Now, by the way, during this whole practice or systematic behavioral change that's going on, your, your frontline employees are observing this. They're seeing how you show up every day. They're seeing your intentionality and how you're practicing and, and, and transparency or trust or whatever value that may be a part of your value system in your organization. And that's what begins to foster that social learning when you're intentional and in bringing up the values in your conversations and the way in which you measure your business. That's what we mean by operationalizing culture is connecting those behavioral standards as part of your day to day practice and making that an indicator of of how well your business is performing, no matter how good you think your metrics are 
your, or your lagging indicators are, it's all mm-hmm. going to back up to, do you have behavioral ownership and accountability? So Randall, let's kind of go to you because you're the operational guy. I'm assuming that this is, and maybe I'm wrong, I'm assuming this is easier to implement the process for a smaller organization of, say, 50 to 75 or so employees compared to a company that's got, I don't know, 500, 1,000, 2,000 employees. Am I right on target there? I consider them the same. They're both the same amount of work. Okay, because we're applying we're applying uh, a ratio of our people to employees, right? So a hundred person uh, company is no easier or harder than companies we work with that have ten thousand employees. But longevity wise, can it more easily be rolled out in a smaller organization than a larger? Well, sure. I mean, when you think about uh, communication, right, you know, you whisper something in somebody's ear in a chair next to you. And by the time it gets all around the circle and gets back to you, it's a totally different message. Remember that one? Well, if there's only one or two people next to you, the communication is a lot easier. So certainly uh, in that example, those things are true, right? Okay. Um, Yeah. I don't want to be skeptical. Uh Uh-huh. When I look at this, I sit there and say, okay, I've worked with senior managers before and I've seen what happens. They get it. They, they, they push down what they, their values are and they've got it. They're holding, they're trying to hold their people account. And again, with that game of the telephone, as you get through multi layers of management, by the time it gets down there, there's something lost in the translation. How do you ensure that that's not? Yeah, so I'll take that one and give Dante some oxygen here. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> Greg, I'm gonna... the impression he's pretty passionate about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, we just, I mean, the, the, Greg, you and your audience have to understand, we just came off of six months of heads down writing a book. That's just been released uh, about a month ago. It's called From Culture to Culture. Uh, that shares with the world our CPM methodology. So we've just, uh, it's top of mind to us. And, uh, you know, we're actually implementing this at, uh, you know, some companies, some partners we have in the U.S. right now. So we've just been accelerator to the floor. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's passionate for sure. But, um, uh, you know, I want to politely push back on you a little bit, Greg, your assumption that the senior leadership team, they all get it. That's incorrect. Uh, from my perspective, from my okay. humble perspective, right? We see the dysfunctionality within a senior group of 10 to 15 senior leaders as we do at the very bottom of the organization with a frontline supervisor and 30 employees. Okay, they have different opinions. They have, they, they, just, they have relationships that aren't good. They don't openly communicate with each other. They harbor bad feelings right. and animosity. I mean, I see this all the time. Oh, yeah. The teamwork level there sometimes is even uh, worse. Yeah, so sometimes fighting is even worse at the senior level. Yeah, now you can make the assumption that's all rosy at the top, but I would, uh, I'm certainly going to kick the tires on that before I make a commitment before we Mm -hmm. do that. Because you asked the question to Dante earlier, you know, how do you go from each level top down in the organization, right? And how do you hold people accountable to it? You know, and that's, that's the holy grail, right? One culture. I mean, you hear, you see a lot of companies with that's the name of their initiative, one culture, right? Now, what, what are they saying when they say that? They're saying one culture. That means we act the same. We behave the same. Our employees experience consistency in our behavior. It's one. It's not many. It's one. Okay. So inherent in that word means sameness. 
Okay. From the top down, right? So when you think about accountability, right, I'm going to jump back on that one for a minute. Could you imagine having to run an organization where you have to force accountability all the time? Like, think about that. Like, that's horrible. Like, so senior levels guys talk to me about this all the time. I want more accountability in my organization. I'm like, really? People can lead, by the way. They don't have to be accountable. You know, what they're really asking for is ownership. I need own, I need people that own their area and own their job like we own the business, right? That's what they're really looking for. So accountability, if you think about what, when can you not hold somebody accountable? When they don't have the training, when they don't understand, when the definitions aren't clear, when there's no system for doing it. If you don't have any of those, you have to let people off the hook because the senior leadership team hasn't given what their people need to be successful doing their job. So first you got to do that and then you got to train them. And then you got to measure it. And so you start eliminating things. You got the system, you got the process, you've been trained, you measure it, right? And you keep peeling that thing back until you go, there's nothing left. You got everything you need to do this. Now, if you can't do it, then you're out of here. Okay. But you have to take away all that first. That's senior leadership's job. That's how you start to move toward, if you want to call it accountability, then that's okay. fine, right? But the last thing I would I would share with you is, you know, um, the, the lack of any of those, uh, you can't hold anybody accountable, I guess is the point, right? Um, yeah. you, does that make sense to you, Greg? Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And there's also leadership accountability and mutual accountability. So it's a, it's a little, it works both ways there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I want to get into this because we're getting tight on time here. I want to get down to the line here. You know, what's the biggest challenge today that organizations are facing from the senior level all the way through? What's the biggest challenge and how can your CPM concepts help them? You know, when I think about challenges organizations are facing, right, the, the most prevalent challenge right now is related to labor. It's, la it's, it's, it's related to uh, retention, right, and, and ability to attract and retain, I should say, talent in the workplace. And this notion that um, monetary uh, motivators are the way to do it uh, is becoming a bit uh, difficult to align with for organizations as you continue to experience wage compression. Because obviously with the increase in minimum wage, with the um, advocacy for increased hourly rates across your frontline uh, uh, positions in your organization, what can an organization do? So you're competing with a compressed labor market and, and wages now that are on an uptick, then what is my draw? Right? What makes me different? And it comes down to the experience that you can foster for your employees. And I think they, that organizations are yearning for an outlet uh, so that they can can be able to leverage as a, a tool or strategy to attract and retain talent. And at the end of the day, you can have all the rah-rah events you, can, you want in your organization. You can do all that other stuff, how your leaders engage, how they interact, and how they make decisions on a daily basis impacts that experience. And it perpetuates out into the marketplace because, because for organizations who foster the most 
fulfilling. It doesn't mean that an employee shows up happy every day. What it means is that they feel fulfilled and purpose-driven. And when you can do that, then they start to tell cousin so-and-so, sister so-and-so, auntie so-and-so, and the world starts to spread. Now you become uh, essentially employer of choice, not because of the wages that you provide. That's secondary or tertiary to yeah. the advocacy around your organization based on experience, but experience rooted in, again, how leaders engage, interact, and make decisions. Well, engagement, interactions, make decisions. Decisions. Well, what is that rooted in? It's rooted in the values that we share, the language we use, the experiences that we foster every day. That's our company culture in a nutshell. So we see providing organizations with a system to effectively define, implement, and measure and and essentially manage their culture and to be able to stand behind um, this to say, I not only profess it as window dressing, I practice it intentionally every day. And that's just a dealing with the talent attraction and retention challenges, let alone the, the, the socioeconomic issues and things that organizations are facing right now. Okay. These conversations around diversity, equity, and, and inclusion, for example, having mechanisms to validate that you are actually putting diversity, equity, and inclusion practices in, in your organization. I'm not talking about campaigns and initiatives. I'm talking about, and quotas. I'm talking about getting at the root of equity and inclusion, which is how my leaders engage, interact, and make decisions in the business, right? So again, we're equipping leaders with the system to do so. So as you were talking, one of the things that came to my mind was, uh, they, I think Forbes magazine does their list of best places to work. Would you all say that some of these places that have the best places to work have got and followed the concepts of what you're talking about here? You know, I, I, I think you're going to find that organizational leaders do their best to try to foster um, positive workplace cultures. Some chase their tails trying to <laughs> apply solutions to, to foster positive experiences. That is great. But however, I believe that there is a vast majority of organizations, even the ones rated in Forbes, who simply... Um, use reactionary metrics as a short interval measure of workplace culture. But when okay. you start to peel back the onions, that's part of the work we do in culture works and powers. When you start okay. to peel back the onion, you realize just how dysfunctional I would be remiss if I would say the top 10 Forbes best places to work for 2022, if they invited us into the organization. Matter of fact, I challenge anyone who's listening who works at any one of those top or Forbes best places to work, invite Randall and I into your business and allow us the opportunity to assess your company culture at the heartbeat of culture, which is how your leaders in practice and embody your core values on a day-to-day basis. And I promise you, you're going to find opportunities. Okay. The name of your book again is From Culture to Culture. Is that right? You bet. The system to define, implement, measure, and improve your company culture. By reading the book, does that give them the groundworks and then they can get the concepts? And then how do they want to reach you guys if they want to bring you in to do something? Uh, yeah, uh, great question. So, yes, they will get the foundational concepts to implementing a culture performance management system in their business. We even provide them with the framework around some t- assessment tools and some implementation tools. 
Um, but of course, we encourage people to reach out to us. Easiest way, if you visit our website at Get Culture Works, that's Culture Works with an X as in xylophone, the X factor in your business. So Get, G-E-T, Culture, C-U-L-T-U-R-E, Works, W-O-R-X.com. You'll have our contact information. You have our LinkedIn links uh, um, on our contact page as well. Um, you can also, we're contributors in, in uh, Forbes magazine, ironically, uh, as well as Entrepreneur Magazine and others. I mean, there's a number okay. of ways you can kind of read up on us and, and learn more about our, our uh, solutions. Okay. Randall, any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, I could go on for two hours. I mean, there's so much more <laughs> I want to share with you, but uh, <laughs> oh, you know, I know. We'll, we'll just kind of wrap up there. Um, hot topic, meaningful topic, uh, number one priority in the United States right now. Uh, and we're hopeful that companies will come to see that there is a better way, there's a better solution to proactively define, measure, and implement their culture and make it real. Quit faking it, make it real. Yeah, I, lo I love the word, you and you both used the word several times, is proactively. And I think that's where we've got to go today. Yeah. There's so many places that are reactively trying to do things. Well, they, you know, and I, don't, I give them an A for effort. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to slam companies for making an A, you know, back, like, like I said, that big client that we had A for effort, just F for execution because they're using the wrong approach. That's right. it. Bottom line. Yeah. We not only coming up with the idea, we've got to understand how to execute that idea. Right. You bet. Absolutely. Gentlemen, it's been a privilege to have you on here with the teamwork advantage uh, talking about teamwork leadership. And today we spent the entire time on culture. So I'll put the, uh, your web address into our show notes so they'll be able to get it there. And so we'll work with it off of that. Gentlemen, I hope to have you back here once again, talking about this a little bit more. As, uh, as I said, you both are passionate about this. And that's, that's such a pleasure when people are passionate about what they do. Folks, once Thanks for week, having us, Greg. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, once a week on the Teamwork Advantage, you get ideas and skills that you can implement immediately. And today, both Randall and Dante have shared with us ideas about culture that you could do from a theoretical standpoint, as well as an implementable standpoint. You know, I always say, having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, you know you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Till next week, take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.